Morning, Calvary. Slow. Happy Resurrection Day. It's a good day, huh? Well, we're happy you guys are here, and uh, today is a day in which we celebrate uh, a very unique, a very special miracle that typically does not happen every day, but we see something amazing that took place 2,000 years ago, and all of us are affected as a result of this great miracle. And so today, my message that I have to bring to you guys to share with you today is not really at all anything new. It's not made up. It's not something that we have just recently tapped into. It's a 2,000-year-old message. And what I will do today is I will keep my comments very brief, and I'll try to do the best that I can to be as succinct as I can and concise as I can to keep our focus as quickly as we can on the, cru- on, on the crucifixion of Jesus, but then ultimately the resurrection of Jesus. So what I want to do as we jump into taking a look at this great radical event that took place is it's important, first of all, for us to note that the idea or the concept of a messianic movement is not new. There are many messianic movements prior to Jesus, decades before the life of Jesus, and decades after the life of Jesus. It's important for us to note that. And yet, what's important for us to realize is that before and after Jesus came, every single messianic movement that was ever around always vanished as soon as the leader of that movement died. None of the movements lasted or outlived the actual starter or originator of that particular movement. But Christianity is unique because Christianity is actually the only movement that actually, once it got going, and once Jesus established it, as it began to move forward, it actually not only didn't stop going, but it actually continued to progress. It thrived. And it became the largest, really, religion or association in terms of relationship to God in the entire world. And it all happened as a result of what we would recognize and identify as the resurrection. Because at the end of the day, dead messiahs are failed messiahs. But what we have with Jesus is not a dead messiah, but a living messiah. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to take a look at three specific things to try to point out, to try to anchor our understanding as to why the resurrection is so significant and so important. The first thing that I want to take a look at is that the resurrection of Jesus actually validated his death for us. Now we just came off of this past weekend Friday was what we typically call or celebrate as Good Friday. It's the day in which we remember Jesus died for us. So when we talk about the fact that Jesus' resurrection actually validated God's approval of Jesus' death for us, what we need to first of all understand is why Jesus came in the first place, why he died in the first place. To do that, we need to take a look a little bit at the bigger storyline or narrative of the Bible. The Bible starts out by telling us that God created all things. All things begin with God. All things originated with God. And out of God, God created mankind. He created this earth. He created all the things that we find and associate with beauty in this world. So all the things that we love about life, that we enjoy, that we find some sense of purity and hope in, all originated or starts from, comes from God. But what had happened was that when God originally created the universe and the planet in which we call our home, God then delegated responsibility of it over to our former father and mother, Adam and Eve. 
And God gave them, delegated to them responsibility over the planet, over the earth. And yet what had happened was, is we see everything was beautiful, everything was rhythmic, was in a beautiful order for a whole two chapters in the entire Bible. And then unfortunately, chapter 3, everything goes down the tubes. Because what happened earlier, or later on in the book, uh, New Testament, Paul the Apostle, one of the early church writers, says what had happened was mankind, rather than worshiping God... We began to worship the creation rather than the creator. We began to fall in love with the things that God made rather than the, the one who gave us these things. And the Bible basically describes this as sin. And as a result of that, everything went out of order. Man began to pull away from God rather than draw into God. And the Bible is true. The Bible describes God as not just the originator of life, but as life itself. So if that means, if God is life, to pull away from God, to remove ourselves from God, would actually be to pull away from, or to remove ourselves from life itself. And yet, that's what the Bible says, is that we are on this constant journey in our hearts to pull away from God, to walk away from God. The writer C.S. Lewis put it this way, fallen man is, is not simply an imperfect creature who needs improvement, he's a rebel who must lay down his arms. This is really important because some of us may simply look at our lives and think we have some things to work on. There's some areas in our lives that just simply need to be improved. And yet the Bible is going to tell us that the source of every form of decay and brokenness in our own life as personal beings and in the extension of our lives in terms of our relationships and in the world in which we live in have to do with sin. That sin is stamped upon our lives. And it's left a crimson stain, as the Bible will describe. And sin has gone so deep, it's affected us in at least three distinct ways. It's affected us as individuals. It's one of the reasons why, if you haven't figured it out yet, why we constantly feel broken. It's because you are. It's the reason why we oftentimes do the things we don't want to do, or don't do the things that we really want to do. The Bible says that what happens is that we sin by doing sins of commission and sins of omission. We sin by committing things, doing things we know we shouldn't do. But we also sin by not doing things that we know that we should do. Things that we know are righteous, things that we know that are good and just and helpful that promote conscientious awareness to other people's needs and help those that are marginalized and help those that are hurting. We just simply turn our eye on those things. We turn our face away from those things. So we sin by commission and sin by omission. So what happens first and foremost is that we as human individuals are out of whack. We are out of order. The Bible says because we have walked away from God, sin has affected us. And some of us may look at ourselves and be like, I'm not that bad. I have good control over my life. I have a lot of self-control. You work out, you take care of your health, you have a lot of disciplines in your life, you're good with your money, you try to help those that are poor, and you try to give money away to help other people. But the problem is, is at the bottom of you, even though you may have a lot of moralistic abilities, you're very prideful, and you look discouragingly, disparagingly down upon everybody who's not like you. You think you're better than everybody else. You criticize other people that don't act like you, don't read the Bible like you, don't worship like you, don't give like you, don't have the same commitments or moralistic values as you. You sin the worst sin of all. You're prideful. So the Bible says, first of all, our sin has affected us individually, but it's also affected us socially. It's one of the reasons why 
We find things like divorce, why there's wars, why people steal, why people take things from other people. It's because socially sin has affected us as a humanity. Across the board, we don't get along the way that we ought to get along, the way that we should get along. It's because sin has affected even that. And then thirdly, it's affected us in terms of creation. Like I said earlier, rather than worshiping the creator, we worship the creation. We've fallen in love with creation. I'll give you a very simple example of this, like the porn industry. Porn is a perfect example of the worship of a human body. It elevates human bodies as being ultimate. People pay large sums of money to go to the temples to worship these false gods. And ultimately, at the end of the day, it's a perfect example of creation worship. It's destructive to individuals, it's destructive to communities, it's destructive to societies. Sin goes deep, and yet the Bible tells us Jesus came into this world, that God became a man, the God-man. The reason why God came into this world as a man is because we as mere men make ourselves out to be gods. We think we are more deserving, more entitled than what we really are. We act as if we're little tyrants. We act act as if we're little gods. We want to be in control. We want to exercise authority. We want to have power. For some of us, the only thing that you lack is means and ability. And that's it. If you had means, if you had ability, if you had money, if you had the opportunity, then you too, all of us, we would just be like the worst sinners possible. The only thing that oftentimes keeps us back, holds us back, sets limits on us, is means and ability. And yet Jesus came into this world humbly, like a servant, laid his life down. And the Bible tells us that he came to ultimately pay for our penalty. He allowed sin and evil and wickedness to do to him all that it can possibly do. And it led him to the grave. Jesus was brutally tortured. Jesus was brutally murdered. And therefore, ultimately, we see what had happened was three days later, Even though Jesus was destroyed, even though Jesus lost his life, even though Jesus paid the ultimate price for us, the grave couldn't hold him down. God resurrected Jesus from the dead. And that's really good news. And what happens, if you're going to clap, we have to clap very excitingly. Right? It's a worthy clap. That's my only one rule. If we're going to clap, we've got to mean it. Really got to mean it. So at the end of the day, what the writer in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul says this, 1 Corinthians 15, 17. He says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless and you are still in your sins. So Paul basically says this, if Jesus did not rise again from the dead, then we are still in the middle of our sins. We have no hope. There is no real hope. For ourselves, there is real no hope, no real hope at all whatsoever for our relationships, for society, and there is real no hope for this world in which we live in that's being destroyed, that's breaking down, that's falling apart, that's crumbling before our own eyes. But if indeed Jesus did rise again from the dead, that means there is hope for you, there is hope for your relationships, there is hope for all the cosmos because Jesus died and the grave couldn't hold him, but he rose again. That's very good news. At the end of the day, the resurrection was God's stamp of approval, paid in full, 
everything Jesus did counted. It mattered. It was worthy. God showed honor to his son by lifting him up, rising him up out of the grave. The second thing that we see is that the resurrection not only validated Jesus' death for us, but it also conquered our greatest enemies. Some of you might not know or think or maybe perhaps even be ignorant to what types of enemies we have. We oftentimes think we don't have that lot of enemies, we don't have a lot of enemies that are against us, but the reality is that we do have enemies. And for some of us, the enemies that we might think actually are enemies are not our greatest enemies. For some of you, you may think your greatest enemy is your spouse or your ex-spouse or slow cable or slow internet or not having signal on your cell phone. Those may be, in your mind, your greatest enemies, or not graduating, or not getting the job, or your boss, or your landlord, or your creditors, whatever the case is. But the Bible is going to tell us that our greatest enemies are these. Satan, sin, and death. And what the Bible tells us is that Jesus, by coming into this world, by taking, being, coming a man, the God-man, Jesus took on our greatest enemies. Here's what the Apostle Paul, or one of the writers in the New Testament, actually says. He says this, Jesus became a man that through death he might destroy the one who has power over death, that is, the devil. Jesus overcame the devil. And the fact that Jesus rose again from the dead validates the fact that he actually did conquer the devil. But the Bible also goes on to say, even beyond that, he overcame and conquered sin. And sin always goes hand in hand with death. So Jesus conquered both of these. And they go hand in hand because really at the end of the day, Paul the Apostle in the New Testament says this, the wages of sin is death. In other words, the soul that sinned, the person that sins, will die. Sin, or I should say death, is the natural end of those that pull away from God. Sin is basically us saying we don't need God and us walking away from God. So, for example, if God is a life source, God is the life source, for us to say, I don't want God, and I'll walk away from God, is actually walking away from the source of life itself. That's rebellion. Basically, we don't just walk away from God and say, I'll just walk away and go be and do my own thing. What we do is we walk away from God and we find another alternative, some other substitute. So what we do is we substitute God for relationships, we substitute God for our vocation, for our jobs, for our careers, for our looks, for fashion, whatever it is, for money, investments, security. We are always going to be worshipers. You need to know this today. Every single one of you here, young, old, religious, non-religious, agnostic, atheist, or just simply ignorant, every one of you, we're worshipers. We worship something or someone. And the reality is, is that by worshiping that something or someone, you become as strong or as vulnerable is, as that thing is that you worship. It's one of the reasons why God says, don't worship any other God beside me. Because you will become like the gods you worship. If you worship money, if that becomes your ultimate source of value and identity in your life, and you become cold and hard-hearted, and egotistical, distant, impersonal. But the flip side of that is if you worship God, you become loving, kind, and forgiving, 
All of the things that we love, all of the things that we desire, all of the things that even though we may find them hard to live out, we still want them all to be shown to us. So what the Bible's going to say is that this is what sin does. Sin will lead us on this slow path to death. Because if God is the life source, to walk away from the life source would mean and lead to a death. It's kind of like a laptop, all right? You unplug your laptop, it is now currently unplugged from the power supply. It may have a good battery backup, but at some point, you will run the battery into the ground and it will eventually give up and die. That's who we are as human beings. To pull away from God, to walk away from God, means that we will continue to keep computing, we will continue to keep thinking, we will continue to keep doing the things, but we are on a slow, progressive death as we lead our lives away from God. And yet Jesus came into this world to deal with the issue of sin, to deal with the issue of the rebellion of our heart, to set us free from that. And as a result of that, because sin will ultimately lead to death, Jesus comes into this world, and he, even though he's sinless, he takes upon himself, the book of Isaiah says, the sin of all the world was mounted on him. And so what Jesus did is he allowed the consequences of sin to come upon him even though he was sinless, and therefore Jesus died. And here's what the New Testament writer Paul says in Romans chapter 6. He says, since Christ was raised from the dead, there's our resurrection, he'll never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For death, he died. He died to sin once for all. And here's what Paul's saying, is that because Jesus came into the world, bore our sin, your sin, my sin, upon himself, Jesus himself died an ultimate death, so Jesus will never die again. The Bible says those who trust in Jesus, who love Jesus, who come to Jesus, who humbly return, the Bible describes it as repentance, who turn back to Jesus, confessing their sin, confessing their rebellion, laying down their arms as C.S. Lewis describes it, will be forgiven, will be received, will be loved, will be brought back into right relationship, will be brought back into the position and the place of life. This is the free gift of God that God says he freely bestows and gives to all who by faith and repentance come to him. It's God's gift to you all because he loves you. You do not deserve it. You could not have bought it, but God graciously, lovingly gives us what we do not deserve. That's the gospel. That's what God offers for us. So the reality is sin will continue to work its way in our lives unless something happens. And on the cross, God created the way so that he can crush sin without crushing you with your sin. Let me unpack that for a second. Because if for you, for example, if you've never confessed your sin, you've never turned from your sin, turned from your rebellion, the problem is, is that you are still in your rebellion. There will come a day when the Bible says Jesus will return. And he will crush rebellion finally but the reality is is that God created the way so that Jesus now has crushed rebellion without having to crush and destroy us because we become identified with our sin and there's no other way for us to separate ourselves from our sin you need to know this because no amount of good effort no amount of good desire no amount of good heart good hope Good motives can actually cause you to stop sinning. We, by nature, the only thing that will change us is a new heart. 
And this is what God freely gives to those who confess to him their need for him. That's what God offers. So the reality, when we talk about death, all of us, no matter who you are today, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, I think it's safe to say we all unilaterally agree on this one thing. Death is our enemy, right? We're all working against death. Some of us are looking for alternative means to deal with it, i.e. diet, working out, Botox, whatever you want, lots of lotions, vitamins, some sort of means to somehow circumvent, to bypass, prolong death. So the reality is, is most of us, when we talk about death, we're either ignoring it, we're either tra- trying to outpace it, or we're just simply coming to some sort of unnatural grips of saying, I'll just accept it. But the reality is, is that Jesus has conquered death. That's good news. That's what the resurrection teaches us, is that we don't have to settle for death as just somehow being natural, the circle of life. The Bible says, no, it's not natural. We don't need to come to grips with it. We don't need to just simply settle for it and accept it as if it's the norm. It's not the norm. It's not how God created things to be. But the creation, the resurrection, I should say, demonstrates the fact that there's a new creation on the horizon, a new plan, a new life, a new future, a new hope. Jesus is the beginning of all this. The book of Acts chapter 17 verse 30 says this, that God has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Here's what the apostle Paul is saying. Because Jesus rose again from the dead, it demonstrates the fact that Jesus has conquered our greatest enemies, Satan, sin, and death. You don't need to live any longer under their oppression and tyranny because Jesus has come as the great liberator to set you free. That's who he is. That's what the resurrection demonstrates to us. And the final thing, and I'm done, is that the resurrection ultimately is a trailer of things to come. It's a trailer of things to come. The Bible tells us very clearly that Jesus actually is the first fruits. That word literally means prototype. We live in a beautiful area on the central coast, close to Cal Poly. A lot of you are college educated. Some of you have done projects where you've had to create a prototype, something that will become sort of the basis, the baseline of all the other future product that will come out of that. Well, the New Testament writers say that this is what Jesus is. He is the prototype of everything that is to come. And what that means is this, is that every single thing that you desire, every one of us unilaterally long for, desire, hope for, is actually found in Jesus. Jesus was forgiving. Jesus is the prototype that one day he is creating a world and a world will come into existence that's full of forgiveness. Jesus is full of joy. He's the prototype of a world that's yet to come into this world that is dawning, that is coming, that is moving, that joy will be the main expression. Jesus accepts those that are broken, that are hurting, that are marginalized. He is the prototype of all this. So all of these things that we long for, even though for some of us the idea of forgiveness is such a difficult thing to comprehend or fathom or a quality for us to even demonstrate to other people, Nonetheless, it is something that all of us wish we had for us. 
Jesus is the prototype of the world to come. He is the trailer of what's going to come in the future. But the beauty of all this is it's begun now. Jesus came 2,000 years ago, rising again from the dead, I should say. And so what happened is a new world has already begun to dawn. It hasn't come in its fullness yet. That Yet there remains one final moment when Jesus will come back. But until then, we begin to be a part of that new world, that new creation, that new life by demonstrating the life of Jesus all around us. So if you are not a Christian, you have an opportunity to become a Christian, to give your heart to God, to ask God to set you free, to wash you. If you're somebody that has walked away from Jesus, you have an opportunity to be brought back, to be washed, to be cleansed, to be set free from these things that bind you. And the beauty of all of this is because Jesus rose again from the dead, he has given us his guarantee that all of these things are not fake, are not non-truths, but the realities. That's what the resurrection ultimately teaches us. What makes Christianity ultimately, at the end of the day, so unique is that Christianity is not primarily good advice. Some of you have been brought up in Christian circles where that is how your understanding of Christianity is. It's good advice. You read a Bible verse, and you go out and try to do it. Maybe for some of you, that's been your whole Christian experience. That's what you've heard from the pastor moment by moment. All of these things that you need to do for God, how you need to act, how you need to live out and act on the Bible. The Bible does have advice, lots of advice, but the Bible primarily, the gospel primarily, Christianity primarily is not about good advice. It's about good news. That God sent his son into this world, and even though it's broken, even though it's rejected him, God has not done away with this old order. God is not is going to wipe it. God ultimately is about renewal, redemption, restoration. We know this because Jesus died, was buried, and rose again. That's what the resurrection is all about. Some of you are trying to be good people. What you need to do is you need to stop trying to be good people. You need to look to the one who was a good person. Jesus was good. Jesus died in your place. Jesus took your spot for you. Jesus rose again from the dead. God put his stamp of approval over everything in Jesus. What remains for you is to trust in Jesus. What remains for you is to repent from your good works, some of you. That's hard. It's easy to repent from our bad works. It's re easy to repent from our sin. But for some of us, we still have hopes that our good works will somehow cause God to raise an eyebrow and towards us and think you're doing a great job. For us, really, some of us, perhaps the religious, those who exercise and live in a religious circle, need to hear this truth really clearly. That perhaps, for some of us, the most important thing for us to do is to repent from even our good works, to turn to the one who did the good work, Jesus, on our behalf, who was crushed and afflicted, who shed his blood for his enemies, was buried in a tomb, and on the third day rose again. And even though Jesus died and rose again and ascended into heaven, the messianic movement that he started 2,000 years ago continues to gather headway, continues to move forward. Jesus said it will be like a kingdom that will have no end. It will continue to build, continue to expand, not in a way of conquering and destroying by sword and blood, 
but by peace and love and kindness. Demonstrated primarily through the peace and love and kindness that he demonstrated to us on the cross, whereby he was judged on our behalf. So what remains for you today is an opportunity to respond to that. And we're going to give you an opportunity to do that in just a second here. What I want to do right now is I'm going to have the worship team come on up, and my words are finished. What I want to do right now is I want to just pray and ask God to move and work in our hearts. Because some of you right now are hearing this. Maybe perhaps for some of you, this is the first time you've ever heard this. It's all news to you. I want to give you an opportunity to respond to Jesus, to respond to him. The Bible says that if we trust in him, God will respond. God will save us. God will rescue us. So for some of you right now in your heart, you feel the desire that says, I want to believe. I want to trust. I want to respond. And there are desires in your heart that are coming alive, that are being awakened. The Bible describes this as regeneration, that Jesus is regenerating, moving, working in your heart, opening your eyes to see who he is, to respond to him, to love him, to repent from sin. And I want to give you an opportunity to do that. And what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to pray And then after I'm done praying, I'm going to invite all of you that maybe for the first time you've never given your life to Jesus and you would like to give your life to Jesus today for you to stand. For others of you, perhaps maybe you have claimed to have been a Christian all your life, but for some reason today, maybe something has been spoken in a way that has awakened a new desire that has revealed to you maybe a false faith, a false confidence that you have been trusting in, and I want to give you an opportunity to repent and turn from your sin and come to Jesus. Others of you, maybe you think that you've been a Christian, you've been walking with Jesus, but for some reason you've walked away, and Jesus is wooing you back, drawing you back, lovingly inviting you to come back into relationship with him, because he is the giver of life. To walk away from this God is to walk away from life. To come back into relationship with this God is to come back into life. I want to invite you to come to Jesus. Who is crushed and bruised by the hands of brutal men. Who ultimately on the cross cried out to the Father for the first time in all eternity, Jesus heard silence from his Father. He died, was buried in a tomb the third day. He rose again. He's alive. This isn't myth. It's not a fairy tale. This is a movement. It's not our movement. We're just part of a very big global movement of which God is moving, which God started 2,000 years ago. This message is not new. But it has the power to save you. I'm going to pray. And when I'm done praying, those of you that want to respond, repent from your sin, turn to Jesus. I want you to stand right where you're at. This is always kind of tough, and I realize it's hard. Standing is not going to save you. Trusting in Jesus will save you. But we want to pray for you. We are a church. We're a church service. And what better place to be able to make your life right, to get right with God, repent from sin, than amongst a bunch of people who actually, truly love you. I'm going to pray. You'll have an opportunity to respond. And then as soon as we're done, I'll give you the next instruction. Jesus, right now, I pray that you would open people's eyes, that you would regenerate dead hearts, that you would draw people to yourself, that you would bring life, bring transformation, bring forgiveness of sins, bring joy. Because that's who you are, God. That's what you desire to bring. 
You desire to set us free. You desire to expose our idols, expose the things that we've been trusting in, that rather than making us more like you, making us joy-filled, making us life-givers, life-receivers, we've become cold, hardened, destroyed, distraught, broken, burned out. Jesus, you came to restore and renew. God, do that in this room right now, we pray. Right now, I just want you to stand if that's you. Whoever you are, wherever you're at, I just want you to stand. If you want to trust Jesus today, if you want to give your life to Jesus, if you're a Christian, and yet perhaps you've walked away from God, if you thought that you were a Christian, perhaps today you've realized maybe you're not, just stand up right where you're at, anywhere you're at. We're a church. We love you. This is hard. We realize this is tough sometimes. Standing is not what saves you. Your faith, trust, and confidence is what saves you. It's what brings restoration in your heart. We just want to rejoice with you. Anybody else, just stand right where you're at. Certain God's probably moving in a lot of your hearts. Just stand. All we want to do is pray for you. Right on, guys. I appreciate it, man. I appreciate your, your boldness. It's tough. There's a lot of people in this room. There's a lot. There's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people in this room. This is not about you and what others are thinking. This is about you responding to the message of the gospel trusting in Jesus, trusting in what he has accomplished for you on your behalf out of great love and affection for you. Stand right where you're at. What I'm going to do right now is I'm going to have these guys play. They're going to lead us in just a brief song. And I want to actually ask you guys to do something that's really big and bold. It's kind of tough. But I really believe that before good God will use it in your life in a powerful way. I'm going to actually ask all of you that st- stood up, or maybe that had not stand up yet, stood up yet, but would like to stand up and come forward, and have you all come forward just towards the front. That's where the lights are off, because it's not about you. It's not about people looking at you. It's not about people even clapping at you. It's just about us wanting to give you the opportunity to respond to Jesus. So these guys are going to play a song. I want you to come forward. Are they playing? If there's any of you that have not stood up that would like to be prayed for, that would like to come forward, respond, we're going to give you that opportunity. So I want you to come forward as well. So go ahead and come forward right now. Let's do this. We love you guys. You're going to ask all the people that are here to pray. I want you guys to come up too. We've got a lot of people that are here to pray. You guys can just come to the front. You don't have, you can just, you don't have to face out. That's fine. Just, you guys just, we're just going to worship. Glad you guys are coming up. Just come on up. I just want to pray for you. We're going to sing, play a song, and pray over you guys. And the rest of us, we're just going to continue to sing.